For my prepared message this weekend, I'd like to read out of first Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. God said, let there be light. And so light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness. God named the light day and the darkness night. There was evening and there was morning, the first day. Well, like many of you, I have spent the last few days processing the events from this past week. It's been a tough few days, it's been a tough few weeks, and I found myself vacillating between anger, grief, sadness, and exhaustion. I found myself processing all of it in relationship to the roles I bring to this moment. My role as a citizen of this country, my role as a father with two children who will inherit this country my generation leaves for them, my role as a person of faith, and in particular one who embraces uh, the Quaker way, and my role as a pastoral minister. And all of these roles both inform and form who I am, and they also in many ways shape how I respond. As a citizen, I'm grieved at the level of divisiveness and hate we seem to be engulfed in. It's one thing to disagree, but what it feels like now is this deep alienation and darkness that is smothering whatever light may be left in our souls. And when that light goes out, all that we're left with is just a lot of vitriol, cynicism, and despair. And we can blame social media, we can blame media outlets, and we can blame whoever we want and whatever we want, but ultimately, each of us is responsible for what we allow to be sown in our souls and to take root. There's a reason, I think, that Jesus said you will know them by their fruits, because in time, what the soul eventually takes in usually is shown and known in one's actions. And I think that's true for individuals as much as it's true for the soul of a nation. And the world will know us by our fruits, and right now the fruit seems pretty rotten. As a father, I'm grieved and even angry that we've not been able to show, at least yet, future generations how it can be done. We've become less stewards of the future, and we've instead shown them how it can be undone. And I'm going to start with myself, and I'm going to ask how I need to be more engaged in helping to build a community and helping to build a citizenship that values human community and seeks to live in such a way that all will have an opportunity to flourish. As a person of faith, in particular the Quaker faith, I'm grieved at the level of violence, both physical and in words, because both really are assaults. One's an assault on the physical body, and one is an assault on the soul. And it seems as if we have devalued human life so much that we no longer consider the human toll that this type of violence will exact on a person physically, mentally, emotionally, as well as on a people as a whole. We've in many ways traded in that vision of seeking that of God and everyone for a sense of entitlement that we can treat anyone in any way we want to in defense of our own personal rights and opinion. And as a Quaker, I'm grieved at how we've lost a vision of integrity, this vision of integrity that will push us at all costs to live lives of truthfulness and honesty 
And that applies to the information we take in as much as it does the information we disseminate. Now, as members of this human community, this world, we have a responsibility to vet our own sources and to vet the information we take in before we disseminate it because once it's out there, it's like tossing feathers up into the wind. It just goes away and it's awfully hard to get it back. Plus, sacrificing integrity on the altar of unfounded theories and conspiracies ends up doing something to our souls, which is slow, but over time moves us farther and farther away from truth until truth really just no longer matters. And this kind of alienation of oneself will sow the seeds of alienation in relationship and with others and eventually finds its way into the soul of a country, a soul of a state, soul of a nation. And as a pastoral minister, I struggle because I've never believed in the power of uniformity, but I believed in the power of diversity. Uniformity is easy. Surround myself with those who think and act and look just like me. Diversity is hard, but it can be beautiful. When folks of different views, different understandings, different opinions, different theologies, different gender and different race can come together in deep unity and discover ways to work together, to live together, to worship together so we can all flourish. We become and can become a model and an example of what a new and redeemed community looks like, much like the New Testament community. Now the challenge of diversity though is speaking truth to power without making it seem like you're picking on someone's specific truth. Now I may be your pastoral minister, but I'm also human and I have my own understandings and sometimes even my own understandings are incomplete and sometimes my own understandings are imperfect. What I always try to do is I try to bring together the scriptural narrative, the Quaker narrative, and the narrative of how Jesus lived. And I ask myself this question, how does this inform how I need to be in this world? In other words, what is the narrative I need to organize my life around as I understand the scriptural, the Quaker, and the Jesus narrative? And when I think I have some sense, just some sense of what that looks like, I pass it on to all of you. In fact, that's basically what preaching and vocal ministry feels like a lot in a nutshell. Passing on to you what is often rising up in me as we journey together as a faith community. So for the next few moments, I'm going to speak to you as your pastoral minister and your friend and try to humbly and openly share with you what's been rising up in me the last few days. Now when life feels chaotic, maybe the best place to go to, go to is back to the beginning, or in this case, Genesis. Now, the word Genesis means the beginning or formation of something. Now, most scholars of recent feel that the book of Genesis was put together during the Babylonian exile, when the Israelites had been forcibly removed from Jerusalem and their temple destroyed. Now, taken by force to Babylon, they lived there for 70 years in a foreign land with foreign gods. They lived in complete disconnection. They lived in complete alienation from their land, from their temple, from their homes, and most of all, from their own story and their own narrative as a people. Their lives, I think, felt without shape. It felt without form. It, it had no definition. It was shapeless and formless. They were strangers in a strange land, probably asking the question, how do we ultimately define ourselves now? Who are we and who are we to become? And they lived with this inward chaos of meaning, this inward chaos of purpose, and the outward chaos of living in this foreign land. Now Genesis, the book of Genesis, opens up by reminding them and us that God created the heavens and the earth. And that out of the chaos, out of the shapelessness, 
Out of the formlessness, God created that which is good. And God takes this raw material of existence and creates life. God takes this raw material of existence and creates form and shape which gives life meaning and gives life purpose. God takes the raw material of existence and creates that which is good out of what seemingly feels and looks like not so good. And more than that, God brings forth light out of the darkness. Now, I know this all sounds very poetic, but at the very level of everyday life, it was a reminder to the Israelites that they still had a future story to live. They still had a future story to define their lives and give their lives shape and meaning. It was a reminder to the Israelites that the God that they worshipped was a creating God and greater and a God greater than the chaos that surrounded them. It was a reminder that the raw material of their own life, their chaos, their emptiness, their seemingly lack of meaning and purpose would be the very material that God would use to create for them a new future and a new life. And it was also a reminder to the Israelites that no matter how dark it felt at that moment of existence, God's creative life-giving word would bring forth light and shine forth into their darkness. The Apostle Paul, who was steeped in the Torah and knew Genesis very well, even picks up on this creation language when he writes in his second letter to the Corinthians, quote, So then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, new things have arrived. Now, in fact, Paul's words remind us that God didn't stop creating the world at the creation of the world. God continues to recreate and recreate until our world is renewed and reflects the very intentions and purposes of God as found in the Garden of Eden. A beautiful story, a garden, a world in which there is harmony and human beings living in mutual harmony with one another and their world. A world in which there is wholeness and in relationships that are whole and they work their way outwards towards the whole of creation. There is vulnerability and there is honesty and there is openness. It's a world in which God's creative power is greater than the forces of chaos and destruction. It's a world in which the darkness does not have the final say, but God speaks creative light into the dark places of life. It's a world that God gives shape and meaning and purpose. The Apostle Paul simply reminds us that all of that starts within the very heart and soul of every person because that is where it started with him. And as he experienced the presence of God through Christ, he became a new creation, and he joined with God to help create the world God intended. And we're invited to become these new creations that help to co-create with God the world that God intends. Now, at the risk of an overstatement, I think we're living in a chaotic time that feels very shapeless and formless. It feels very dark and disorienting. And deep darkness can be very, very disorienting. Years ago, as a family, we once took a tour through a cave. And we entered one part of the cave in which the guide turned off the lights that were um, strung up along the wall. And we were plunged into this really, really deep darkness. It was the, the most darkness I've ever experienced. And the main feeling I had was that of total disorientation, a kind of disorientation which brought on a momentary anxiousness and a momentary fear. And for many, this whole past year, I think, has felt disorienting. And it feels like we've been plunged into this dark place in which we can't seem to fa find our way out or find our way through or know when we're going to be through it. Now you add to that the personal darkness of some 
whether it be grief or depression or anxiousness, and the disorientation just feels very dizzy for people, feels very unsettling. So this is why the opening words of Genesis can be so important to the Israelites and why they can be so important to us. It's a reminder that God who created the universe, the God who shaped and formed life out of chaos, the God who brought light to this disorienting darkness can do the same for the Israelites in Babylon. In fact, God would recreate the Israelites after 70 years of captivity. God would bring them meaning and purpose to their lives. God would bring light to their darkness. And God not only did that upon their return to Jerusalem 70 years later, but God did that in the person of Jesus. That is why the Apostle Paul tells us that anyone who is in Christ is part of this new creation. The resurrection is the sign of the new creation, that life can come forth out of darkness, that new life can come forth out of deadness. Now, I began this message sharing my own reflections from this past week, and in many ways they were and are reflections from the past few months. It has all felt very disorienting and in some ways at times dark. But you know, reading the stories in the scriptures and even the stories of our own nation remind me that others have been through very dark and disorienting times. We as a nation have been through very dark and disorienting times. And why should I or we maybe be any different? We live in a world that we try hard to control, but we soon learn that, we, that life can be unpredictable and we can't control all the events. Or our actions have consequences and now we must deal with the consequences of those actions. This is what the Israelites discovered firsthand. They could not control the world. They, in some way, had to reap the consequences of their own actions. They couldn't even predict the outcomes. But what they were reminded was the central narrative of their life, which was that of being part of a larger story, in which God creates something new and complete and whole out of the chaos and brings light to shine in the darkness. It's like Frederick Buechner, the novelist and pastor, writes, Here it is, the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. But don't be afraid. We live in a world where beautiful and terrible things will happen. And they have happened, and they will happen. But the larger story, the larger narrative of God for us is don't be afraid. And this same larger narrative and story is offered to you and I if we want to be part of it. Remember, every day there are narratives. Every day there are narratives seeking to shape and form our lives, and we get to choose which one gets our heart, which one gets our allegiance, which one really gets our soul. And the Israelites gave their heart and soul and allegiance to the narrative of the creative God, who brought forth goodness out of chaos and light to their darkness. And this is the narrative that gave them hope for their future. Now, you and I, I think, are invited into this narrative, this story, to allow it to shape us, to allow it to form us, this narrative of trust in God the Creator who creates, who shapes, and forms something good, something complete, something whole out of the chaos and the emptiness of our own lives. It is a story and narrative that tells us that even if we feel disoriented, even if we are fearful, even if we are anxious due to the darkness, that God is bringing light to the darkened places of our lives and to the darkened places of our world. But the creativity and the creating of God does not end at Genesis, nor does it end with Paul's words in his letter to the Corinthians. God's creating, God's creativity continues on through you and I, or at least it has the potential to continue on through you and I. We are the creators. 
We are the light bearers. We are the ones invited to rise above and away from the deadness and proclaim with our words and our actions that the emptiness, that the chaos, will not have the final word. The first word, the very first word at creation was, let there be light. And the first word to the chaos of our world is, let there be light. So, let there be light in our words, in our conversations, and in our presence. Let there be light in our opinions and information we take in, as well as pass along. Let there be light in how we show up as citizens and participants in our larger community. Let there be light in the wisdom we need to know how to move forward. Let there be light in our presence towards one another through simple encouragement, through kindness, through praying for one another. Let there be light in our collective witness as deep river friends so that we never forget how to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God and with one another. Let there be light in our courage so that when we speak and live truth to power, we do it in such a way that we bring forth more light rather than add to the darkness. And let there be light in the hearts and souls of all of those who are struggling with their own personal darkness of grief, of depression, of anxiety, and even sickness. And may we all know these words from Psalm 27, quote, the Lord is my light and my salvation, should I fear anyone. The Lord is my fortress, protecting my life, should I be frightened of anything. And then Psalm 27 ends this way, hope in the Lord, be strong. Let your heart take courage, hope in the Lord. As the late Howard Thurman once wrote, quote, hope is the remembrance of radiance. It is the assurance that light is still light even when walking in dark places. Light is still light, even when we are walking in dark and chaotic and disorienting places. You know, the beginning of our story, the Genesis story says, let there be light. We don't create the light. The light already exists. We simply allow it to shine in us and through us to pierce the darkness with hope. In her song, Lean In Towards the Light, Singer-songwriter Carrie Newcomer offers these words. The shadows of this world will say, There's no hope. Why try anyway? But every kindness, large or slight, it shifts the balance toward the light. Friends, it's time to shift the balance. It's time to lean toward the light. So, let there be light. <laughs>